Hello and welcome back to Rocket Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Danielle Haig. Danielle is a business psychologist and the founder of DH Consulting. I first met Danielle after her talk on the Dark Triad, and it's really intriguing with the rise of narcissism and you know politicians like Trump. You know, who are these people? These psychopaths? How do we spot them? Um, do we need them? What does it mean? So really delighted to be delving into this topic and learn um, about Danielle's journey, about how she became a business psychologist and what kind of drives her. Um, welcome, Danielle. Where did Danielle come where from? Where did it all begin? Um, yeah, where did it all begin and, and what sparked your interest in business and entrepreneurship? So my background. Um, so I grew up in the Midlands in the UK. So that's where I'm from originally. Um, okay. I have two, par- uh, two parents. I have my, <laughs> my mum and dad. <laughs> My dad uh, is an Irish immigrant and my mum is of Irish descent as well. And they built up a, a sporting empire, so to speak. So they built up, it was really big martial arts. And so okay. my father, he used to have gyms and they had like a world leading magazine and publishing empire and all sorts of things, all to do with kickboxing, karate, martial arts. It was huge in the 70s and the 80s. Okay. So um, hmm. that's what my parents did. They literally came from nothing and built up this huge kind of sporting uh, business or businesses, I suppose. And um, I grew up uh, with my uh, three siblings and my parents. And I wanted to be a paleontologist for years. That's what I wanted to do. I was obsessed with dinosaurs and history and uncovering about the past. And then that swiftly shifted to archaeology and the ancient world and people but and and that's what I studied at university actually was uh, the ancient Near East so I was just saying that I can read and write four dead languages but can hardly speak (laughs) (laughs) so um, really just starting to really understand people And, and that was what I really wanted to do but weirdly enough there weren't that many jobs for ancient Near Eastern historians when I graduated, so I was a bit at a loss. I also wanted to be a performer for a really long time. Um, I wanted to be a musical theater performer and I love to sing and dance and be on stage. And I think that interestingly, ancient history, performing or acting and psychology all have something in common. And it's all to do with understanding other people and like uncovering the way the brain works and the way people work. And so after, so I didn't do musical theatre, I did do classics. And then after that, didn't have, you know, I didn't know what the hell to do. And I also wasn't very confident. I completely lack confidence. When I look back at who I used to be, this beautiful model slash, you know, uh, academic who seemingly could do anything. What I now know was, um, uh, you know, social anxiety. And I just, as I said, I just couldn't, I couldn't work out what everyone else was doing and how life was so seemingly easy for everyone else. And yet it was hard for me to just even go and buy some milk without this insane pressure on me about how the world was judging me and all sorts of things that were going on. So anyway, so various jobs happened and then I transitioned and I uh, transitioned from um, ancient Near Eastern studies over to psychology. And suddenly it was like I found the key to the world and what was going on um, and myself more than anything. So I studied, uh, I did a master's in, in psychology and I mm. started to read about the dark triad. It gets complicated here. <laughs> no, I like this. I love this stuff. I love it. <laughs> and it's almost like you, 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 you um, pursued the, the psychology piece because of yourself. You, you, was it a quest to understand yourself? Is that how you kind of I, d- I don't think I realised it at the time. but Subconsciously, I think, maybe. Yeah, I think definitely subconsciously that is exactly what I was doing. And in fact, I think anybody who wants to study the brain, psychotherapy, coaching, anything like that, I think generally there is a desire to understand yourself at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably an underlying premise as to why people go into, into, that, into the industry of understanding people. In fact, in mm. psychotherapy, they say that there's no coincidence for our job choices. So, for example, people who want to become uh, firefighters, 
you know, they have a savior complex. They need to fulfill that. So they mm, have to, mm-hmm. they put themselves in a position where they can save other people and so on and so forth. So um, the, the, in psychotherapy, yeah, there's a reason why we do everything that we do. But interesting, so after I did that master's, I then went and worked at 20th Century Fox. So I moved and started working in marketing and advertising. So I told you it was all very complicated. Mm-hmm. So I moved into yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> As you do, you know. Yeah, paleontologist so, I mean, to psychologist to film. I Why know not? it makes sense, Why right? <laughs> so moved into film, and I I loved the job, but I was really insecure, and I I was very creative, very good at marketing, but I was so insecure. I I would never have the voice to actually tell my team I've had this idea, and so I sat in this assistant job at Fox in marketing for like four years, three years or four years doing nothing, not progressing, not going anywhere, but just so frustrated that I had all these ideas, but I didn't have the confidence to do anything about it. So I was like giving ideas away to my team members. I'd tell them, oh, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And they were getting all the success. And I was just sitting there, just not doing anything. I think I was earning like 18 grand a year for four years, like literally doing nothing and never progressing. And I also was having a really hard time managing the relationships at work as well. Now, I used to say, you know, these people were horrible and they were mean, but actually they weren't. It was my insecurity that was the biggest problem with managing these relationships. And I started training as a psychotherapist at the weekends whilst I was working there. And training to be a therapist is one of the most incredible and scariest things you can do on the planet because you are your own case study. So for years over the weekends, I think it's three or four years, It's like every weekend you turn up at class and you're like peeling another layer of your skin off yourself. And you're like Mm -hmm. taking away Mm -hmm. everything that you think, you know, and diving deeper, deeper, deeper. And you're walking around for those years like you've got no skin on. You're like super vulnerable. You, you know, it's you're in a risky state. Mm. And then suddenly one day you wake up and it's like you're covered in a suit of armor and -hmm. you are so strong because you know so much about yourself. You know why, you know, the bad stuff, you know, the good stuff, you know, you know, your strengths, your weaknesses, you know, everything. Mm. And suddenly no one can harm you anymore, because if you know everything about yourself and you accept that and you're happy to move forward, like there's nothing anyone else can do to Mm -hmm. harm you. And it's Mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. And that was like a pivotal time in my life was the day that I woke up with this suit of armor and everything changed. I quit my job. I went back to university to study business psychology because at that point I knew that people shouldn't have to feel that bad at work every day. And Mm. so I wanted to start to understand people, help people be better at work to get what they need to get out of it, fill their potential as individuals and thereby, you know, building great things and contributing and getting all of the wonderful stuff that you get out of work. Um, And so that's why I did that. Then I did my coaching uh, qualifications. I set up my consultancy after finishing um, my master's in business psychology, which I also specialized in the dark triad there. And and then, yeah, and that now eight years, seven years later, I'm doing my PhD, furthering my study even mm-hmm. more. And, um, and, and that's it, really. That's how I got here anyway. I mean, there's a lot okay. more I've seen, I'm sure, but that's it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Do you think um, during your time when you were had the assistant job, presumably you, you observed quite a lot of about what you might want? Uh, um, I, I'm just trying to think, I'm just trying to think, is there a silver lining in in that stage? For those folks that are stuck in that role right now, yeah. it almost, that frustration, that emotion, whatever, that, that drive almost yeah. made you go and, you know, w- want to study the psychology. And do you think um, if it was a more demanding role, let's just say that if you had a higher profile role and you were using yeah. all of your mental energy to actually yeah. be successful in that, yeah. do you think that would be harder than to take on a, you know, studying the psychology piece because sometimes um, these interim, they're, they're there for a reason. It's almost yeah. like a stepping stone, but um, yeah. you obviously weren't content. So the glass was certainly half full. Well, I've always you, wanted, you wanted more. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. You know, I'm not one to kind of, I've always wanted more. I'm from a really ambitious family. Everyone is pushed, encouraged, you know, self-starter parents that came from nothing and built something brilliant. There mm-hmm. was, you know, they were never 
my parents, particularly my father, well, my father was never like, you know, you should be brilliant, go out and do things. But when you live surrounded by people who are creative and they're building something, it kind of rubs off on you. And it it never seemed normal for me to work for somebody else because I never saw it growing up. You know, my parents didn't go the corporate route. You, You know, I didn't see them do nine to five. They, it was wild hours it was creative it was ridiculous but it was fun and it was manic and it was mm-hmm. you know there was something really contagious about that feeling so I always wanted more but I just didn't know what how to get it or what right. I wanted that yeah. was the only thing um I think it was going through well when I worked at Fox it wasn't really that it wasn't consuming because it wasn't it was incredibly mentally consuming on an emotional level I Mm -hmm. mean it was every single action that you take when you have social anxiety which I did at the time every single thing that you do you've pre-planned before you've done it so like getting up to go to the loo is pre-planned like Mm -hmm. waking up in the morning what you're wearing is a whole like nightmare in itself how you're Mm going to walk through the door is planned what you're going to say to each people person is planned every email I wrote was like a minefield Mm -hmm. because I was so insecure so it was incredibly exhausting but actually it was the studying that was a respite for me because it was what I wanted to do it was like my safe space it was my freedom um so actually even though it's definitely tiring um and it takes commitment I actually found that was the most, e- that was the easiest part of my life. It energized you. It almost, yeah, yeah, almost energized you. Interesting. A hundred percent. I mean, I've done that throughout my career. I mean, when I was training as a psychologist, my first master's, that was in Hertfordshire, but I was living in Birmingham with my parents so that I could afford to do it. So I was getting up at like five most mornings to drive to Hertfordshire to do nine to five university. <laughs> drive home again for a few hours, work till midnight on my work and research, and then get up the next day and do that. And then I was working at the weekends. It was relentless. I mean, I've done that throughout my entire career. If you want something, it's amazing how much time and space you can find for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting, actually. Just that one, yeah, that one statement you made. Um, You you can find the time. It it amazes me when you, you hear all these rut stories from folks that uh, say, you know, I don't have time or, but, but actually if you really want something, like you said, you, you can make the time and doors open and you just, you just make it happen. Yeah. Um, And just like, um, it's just like folks that haven't ever been to the gym or ever, you know, exercise. It's like, you know, they look at exercise as tiring, but actually it it actually energizes you. Well, as my dad always says, who used to be um, a bodybuilder, he used to train, I don't know if you know Dorian Yates, he was Mr. Universe and, um, oh yeah. So my dad was one of his trainers and he says, you know, you've got to, you've got to use energy to gain energy. And that's what the gym does. Like it gives you energy. You know, you've got to spend it to gain it. Um, people say that about business as well. Lots of things, you know, you've got to use energy in order to get what you want back. There's a, a cost to everything. But, spend money um, to make money. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so on the, the martial arts, the, your parents oh, yeah. being into this martial arts piece, and you just mentioned your dad was a bodybuilder and obviously a bodybuilder coach. That discipline, obviously, you observed that around the around the, the dinner table. In fact, did you have family meals growing up? Yeah, was generally that, okay. speaking, if my dad wasn't at work, then a hundred percent, my grandma lived with us, and we would sit at home. And always, my mum, my grandma, and if my dad wasn't traveling, he'd be with us. So there'd be it was a big clan, uh, a big group <laughs> of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that that discipline and that um, motivation, that drive, obviously you had the, that that uh, that was normal to you, wasn't it? That's how you Absolutely, grew up. Absolutely, a hundred percent. So my father was one of those people that he would, I mean, still to this day, just had uh, a, an operation actually from he's he's eighty something years old. He's, oh wow! And the and the surgeon was just like, this is insane. Like you're up, you're walking. He's like you 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 know he works out <laughs> every day. He's still got a six pack. He's really you know, he's committed to his life. He's the person that would have a bar of chocolate be like oh I fancy something sweet and take one piece of it and put the rest in the cupboard and it probably would cut covered in dust before you know he even went back to it everything was about control and discipline wow. um mm-hmm. and and consistency and that is a hundred percent you know a, a, a lesson for life if you want to achieve something it will happen but the problem is humans 
We are capable of incredible things, but we're also incredibly ill-disciplined because discipline takes effort. It takes energy and everything is a choice. You have to say no to something else to say yes to something. So when you're talking about the gym, you have to say no to comfort. You have to say no to sitting, watching TV, no to doing anything. And yes, to that discomfort of going to the gym and working out and feeling uncomfortable and sweating and, you know, pushing yourself and all of that kind of stuff. But you get fitter, you have a longer life, you have, you know, you look better in your swimsuit, whatever it is that you want to do. So everything is a choice. You have to say yes and no to something all the time. But we are incredibly poor at disciplining ourselves. Okay, so think about New Year's resolutions. Only about 4% of the world's population actually completes a New Year's resolution. Really? Is it only 4%? <laughs> yeah, because it takes yeah. effort and planning and attention and discipline and all of those things. It's um, it's the same as anything that you want in life. You have to make a decision and make the choice of yes to that goal and no to other things. Mm-hmm. I know we talk about it all the time. It's all over social media. It's all over LinkedIn. You know, you have to say no to seeing your friends or no to this and that. And it is true. But the thing is, if you actually make a decision, like all of those years that I was dedicating to education and and understanding, you know, I was giving up my weekends, I was giving up money, I was giving up when everyone else was, you know, becoming a lawyer and on the corporate ladder, and I was still a student at 26. I had to give up a lot of things Mm -hmm. in order to do that. But now I live I think the best life because I have committed, I gave all of those years, those hours, and I made all those sacrifices so that now I, you know, have my dream life. I have my dream job and I'm making it. And now I'm like, right, now I can do even more because I've done it once before. So now I can do it further and I can push and push and push. So even though you think at the time, and social media is a bit of a devil for this because it's constantly telling you what other people are doing and what mm-hmm. they've already achieved and what you don't have and what you're yeah. lacking. And it's it's very manipulative in that way. And I didn't really have that when I was growing up. So, you know, it didn't really impact me, but I see how it impacts younger people now. But basically, you have to make your choice, which is what do you want your life to look like? What do you want it to be? What do you want to achieve? And then it's not so hard saying no to the other stuff. It just makes perfect sense. Like I'm in the middle of writing a book right now, doing my PhD, I'm running my business, I'm renovating my house, I'm planning a wedding for next year. It's a busy time. (laughs) A friend of mine's come over from Australia and I really want to see them. But I'm like, well, I've got it scheduled in my diary. I've got to write my book tonight. I've got a few hours in there. And I have to weigh up, like, how much do I want to see my friend over how much do I want to achieve my goals? And that's a choice I have to make at that point. I still haven't decided which I'm going to do, but that's the point. It's a choice, right? You've almost got to, you've got to commit. And it's, it's, it's developing that mindset to know that, just like you said, uh, your dad said, you know, you've got to expend energy to give you energy. There is a trade-off. You have to sacrifice some things yep. to get ahead. But actually, if you are disciplined and you have that, just that belief yep. that this investment or, you know, um, if you know what you want, I think it, it takes... I mean, I'm, you know, part of me is still trying to figure out what I, what I want. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are, are like that, it, but it's it just, it's just kind of finding your purpose, um, your North star. And actually, as yeah. you just um, explained, you know, you started off in paleontology and you moved to psychology, you know, you've got to try different things and that's okay. Absolutely. You don't have, you know, and that's, and, and human beings are very adaptable, aren't they? And everything you um, do is worth resilient. learning yes. as well. Yes. You know, learning yes. about people in Persia, for 4,000 years ago is actually still relevant to what I do now. You know, people haven't changed that much. Learning about working at Fox and spending years of my life creating pitch decks, which was mind numbing at the time, is brilliant now. As a business owner, you know, I create amazing marketing tools because, well, I mean, I, they're not that, I mean, I think they're pretty good. I'm not going to take my home, but the point is I learned from that experience. I learned how to pitch to people. I learned how to present a meeting and to get a sell. So even though it wasn't what I wanted to do directly, everything that I've done in my life has led me to this point. Whether I realized it or not at the time is different, but you get what you want out of life. It's a, it, again, it's what you choose. Every morning we wake up and we make a choice. Are you going to go for it today? Are you going to commit to your dreams? Are you going to 
you know, work hard? Are you going to, um, you know, make the sacrifices you need to do? Are you going to have a positive day? Are you going to find the good? Are you going to hunt the good stuff? Or are you going to choose to let the day take you over? And mm. that's your choice. Yeah. In fact, you know, it's actually that that mindset came from a really toxic place. I always think with my my parents. So I wrote this book with my mum recently. We haven't done anything with it. And I basically I wanted to talk about building resilient children. And how do you do that? Because that's the future of our world. And I think actually lots of things that we do in society are making children less mentally resilient. And I think we really have to actively encourage um, education systems and parents to actually nurture that resilience within um you know children so (laughs) we wrote this book and it's really difficult for my mum actually which was about what not to do as a parent based upon her actual parenting so we put anecdotes down and then as a psychologist I'm like look this is actually the wrong thing to do and I remember when I was little we'd walk around the house and my mum was always really stressed. You know, she's running this publishing house, four children. And I mean, we were hectic kids as well. We had hundreds of extracurriculars and, you know, we had to be the best at school. So we were always working. There's always something going on. And um, you'd be sitting and if you're caught watching TV or something in in the living room or the snug, my mum would come in and she'd be like, why are you watching someone else live their dream? And you're just sitting there watching it happen and you're not doing anything for your own life and your own dream. I know. So I was, I grew up with this being drilled into me that basically you don't sit and watch someone else live their life. You go and make yours happen from the youngest stage you could imagine. So now like even sitting and watching a movie is shit. I could be working right now. Like I could be doing it now. Yeah. Huh? You still got you still got that little voice. Oh in yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent. Which is every single day is an opportunity to get closer to what you want to do, and mm. it, it's tough. It does make you it can burn you out. It can be really exhausting, but it also maybe that's the fire that you need to 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 make a difference in in your life. Yeah, it's um. Well, I I have three teenage girls, and I'm not by any means a perfect parent, um, but my eldest is just ready to you know move move on she's 18 yeah fly the nest yep and um she's just got a job as ba cabin crew um so anyway but it's but it's um everyone you know my parents and other people say you can't you know she's so young and she can't do it you know but she's like yes she can she's smart yes. she's independent you Absolutely. know and it's like oh, well, I love it. afford it they can't afford it you know but you know you can get a you can share a room you know you can rent a room for 500 pound a month or whatever it is and and make it work but it's uh you know, bit of, uh, but you got to let your kids go too, you know, but Absolutely. tell them they can 100%. do it. Yeah, but, And also, uh, yeah. to be honest, that's a testament to you because in reality, like for your child at, at whatever age she is, to feel like she can go out there and, you know, be in the big wide world and take on a job and be responsible and do all of those things. That's a testament to her self-belief, her self-efficacy, her confidence never hamper that never you know say to your child that dream is too big or you're too young absolutely I think that's brilliant that she's that confident that young I wish I had been like that well I I think well I mean I think I think like any young person you know the confidence comes with experience you know every I mean so it's a journey um yeah but yeah being able to support your kids but also push them because you know they need they need to be pushed we all need to be given a bit of a push sometimes um yeah but uh, but knowing that they can do it and giving them the belief for sure. Um, but anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey. I'm interested in that. So what what got you into the uh, the dark triad? Um, the dark triad. I, because, but, but also we talked about it's a choice, and we talked and we also touched on the fact that if you set your mind to something, you can achieve pretty much what you want to. But there are extremes. Yeah. You know, because some folks and and I'm really curious to know about your motivations to learn about this, but um, maybe how they fit into society. So I'm just uh, so I want to just read just one little bit um, on the back of this. So um, confession of a psychopath. It says that's um, a sociopath. That's slightly so, different. So, sorry. So sociopath. Yes. And actually, it'd be good to probably learn the differences. OK, so maybe this because I was going to read this little bit here and maybe you can explain what it means and the different types and what is the dark triad uh, yep. and you know we, we certainly know people in the public limelight that probably are so this is a sociopath so it says emmy thomas is a high high functioning non-criminal sociopath she is charismatic and successful you'd be charmed by her 
if you met her, might even be seduced by her. You would not realise that she is studying you to find your flaws. It's ruthlessly manipulative and does not feel guilt or remorse. And since it is claimed that one in 25 of us are sociopaths, she could be your friend or your or your boss, she could be you. She writes with honesty about her life spent trying to blend in with normal society with quietly inserting herself into people's minds to wreak as much havoc as she can. She draws on the latest research to explain what makes... Okay, sorry, this is... Yeah, so it just says that, yeah, they can be business leaders, politicians or surgeons. But you're taking it, your study... Yeah, so what attracted you to the dark triad? And then we can maybe touch back on that. So it's just scary to know that... what, that they're out there? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I was actually thinking, am I, you know, am, and then, you know, I was thinking <gasps> after your talk, I was like, am I a narcissist? That's what everyone and, always and thinks. There is like, some responses. Maybe I am one. Is that <laughs> me? Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's quite Absolutely. good. So I, I went through that process myself. And I was like, well, maybe, because everyone has some narcissistic tendencies. Um, and actually, yeah. and we're all very, well, some of us are very ambitious and very driven. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I know that I can be manipulative and I've used that to get my own way in business and yeah. in life but you know and I'm not proud yeah. of some of those things so so I have some of the skill sets but yeah. anyway I don't I don't think I am but you know who knows <laughs> so. well so how did well I mean I suppose to start with what is the dark triad so the dark triad is a personality that is made up of three independent but overlapping personality traits so narcissism machiavellianism and psychopathy What's interesting about those three traits is, and obviously it's it's a big debate, which is the nature versus nurture debate, which comes into play a lot. And I think, gosh, where to begin on such a big topic? Mm. Um, you find them generally in positions of power, the successful dark triads, but you get a mixture of the personalities because they're independent, but overlapping. There are some similarities between them. So generally no empathy, the mm. the narcissist is so involved in themselves they don't really care much about other people that's very much in my opinion is more a learnt trait than a mm. um than a uh, kind of genetic trait whereas psychopathy is definitely um a uh, is genetic and machiavellianism again i think is more of a learnt trait so you can get imagine a cake you've got three ingredients so you've got eggs, flour, and sugar. If you put a different variation of those three ingredients, you get a different cake. And that's the same with the dark triad. You might have someone who is scoring highly on narcissism and low on Mac and, you know, low on psychopath and so on and so forth. There's many, mm-hmm. many yeah, yeah, variations. Yeah. Human beings are complex. So some of them, yeah, that it is complex. You know, most things to do with humans, it's, it, it's, it's a really difficult thing to measure. So... Say, for example, you have someone who is high in psychopathy, low in Machiavellianism, whatever, in narcissism. That person might not be particularly successful in life. In fact, they're probably going to be more of a criminal than anything else. And when we talk about psychopathy, it's really important to realize we're talking about subclinical levels of psychopathy. So not, you know, axe wielding murderers running around Mm -hmm. killing people. This is subclinical levels. Um, which impacts probably between like 0.2 and 1% of the, the world's population. So it's quite okay. niche. Lots of people call people psychopaths, but generally speaking, they're not. They're just they're someone not. you don't like or someone who's quite cold hearted. You know, the, the, mm-hmm. there's a big difference between someone who is um, is, is a psychopath. The Machiavelli, now this is based upon the term from um, the book, The Prince, written by Nikolai Machiavelli, which is okay. a Renaissance uh, book um, written by uh, Nikolai in the during the Italian Renaissance, and he wrote this book for politicians and world leaders. And basically, it's a book on how to manipulate people and how you can run a country successfully. And so that's what the the term Machiavellianism is is named after. It's people who are incredibly good at pulling strings far in advance so they have this long-term strategic calculation they can plan and manipulate situations years in advance so when you think of a Machiavelli think of a politician Mm. think about a prime Mm. minister a world leader when we see a politician or say for example a new prime minister we see the end result of decades of back scratching manipulation um favors and calling in favors and giving favors and doing all sorts of things it is such a long-term 
calculated position mm. to get to prime minister. That's why so few of them can actually really get there because, well, except for at the moment when it seems anyone can be <laughs> minister at the moment. <laughs> no. We've had three in about three months. But um, generally speaking, to be uh, get to the point where you are a world leader, there is an incredible skill within that person for long-term calculations. So they are very strategic and they are incredibly good at um, understanding other humans and how to control other humans. So that's where that came from. And then narcissism is really interesting. Narcissism, most people think is when someone really loves themselves and they're full of ego and confidence. Actually, it's the opposite. A narcissist really hates themselves. So they've created a whole new persona about who they would like to be. So it's almost like you've got this, uh, like I imagine like a bauble of glass around them and it's all pretty and shiny, but it's really fragile. So the narcissist generally doesn't like themselves at all. So they create a facade personality, um, which is very fragile. And if you question it or test it, they tend to get very aggressive and angry. They also tend to have coping mechanisms with the amount of stress they put on themselves. So they tend to drink mm -hmm. a lot, maybe consume drugs or um, eat a lot, spend a lot, all of these kind of things as, as coping mechanisms. Because imagine a day where you are pretending to be someone else for an entire day. It's, it's hard work. I mean, imagine an interview, but for your whole life because you're putting on an act. It's exhausting. It's like being an, mm -hmm. a full-time actor. So that they're the three personalities that you find in the dark triad. Um, if you are high in psychopathy and narcissism and you're of a, a high intelligence, you'll probably find someone in finance or banking. Money is a massive motivator for mm -hmm. that dark triad. However, high in Machia Machiavellianism, psychopathy, lower in narcissism, you'll find them in politician, legal, okay. law, any position of power. control and power—that yeah. yeah. is their main motivation. Mm, okay, interesting. So I did—I didn't—I was unaware about the calculated nature of Machiavellianism. Mm. Um, so they—that's like, the main so feature. It's, it's very long. Okay, okay. I yeah. So my simple or my layman understanding was more um, would just tread on people to get where to get on top um, and not you know. No, they'll definitely do bit. that, but um, very skillfully. But skillfully, very, but very skillfully. okay. So like a velvet glove almost. You know, you know, you might not 100%. even know you've been slighted um, when you. Have, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And these people yeah. tend to have like almost like a protection bubble of people around them yeah. who are their biggest fans and will support them. And they also help elevate these people oh, oh, to positions yeah. of power. Mm. It, it's, it's really interesting if you think about those people, like, say, for example, there's someone at work. This happens a lot in corporate businesses where someone just seems to have been propelled through their careers faster than anyone else. You don't quite get it. You've no idea how they've done it, but somehow they have just skyrocketed through levels and whatever mm -hmm. and got to the top. That person will probably have some kind of um, Machiavellian tendencies. And what they'll have done is they'll have networked their way into creating this almost like support bubble of people that have carried them up um to the position that they've got to so they all of the a, a successful dark triad needs other people you know they can't be too cold they are cold and they're callous but obviously that doesn't attract people so they're very manipulative and very charismatic so they charm people very well they need other people to get to where they want to be plus also what's the point of power if you don't have followers so yeah. They they need other people, so they're very charismatic. You're right, um, definitely a velvet glove situation. Um, and they and they do require that trust, building that trust, so they can actually get things to happen. But it, it might not be. Yes, yeah, so it's it's almost like um, it's trust, but there's a there's a cat. There seems to be a catch. Maybe not. I mean, like you said, they need their followers too. Uh, yeah, but most most dark triers they end up crumbling eventually. So that's why I get paid by a lot of organisations. A big part of what I do is someone will call me in and say, "Look, we've got this C-suite member, we've got this CEO, COO, whatever CFO, and they are troublesome. They're problematic. They they will have been pre-diagnosed by someone as a dark triad or something, and so then." I come in and I work with them because they are incredible for businesses. They are ambitious. 
They are great at networking. They get things done. They have followers. They have people who want to do things for them. You know, they're well known. People trust them. They're relied upon. Think about like Bernie Madoff. People Mm -hmm. invest in them. But as soon as they get pissed off or something isn't going their way, they are likely to self-implode and they will take a business down with them. And it happens all the Mm. time. Like big banks, all sorts of things happen where basically the the dark triad within them, they they don't get their own way and they get incredibly aggressive and they are destructive and they will ruin everything around them purposefully. Okay. um, Before they are taken away, that it's like, right, okay, if I'm going down, you're coming down with me and they will destroy Mm. businesses. So that's a big thing of what I do. I I get asked to go, go into organizations and work with these individuals basically to teach them how to like manage their their nature so that they don't destroy the business around them because okay. you know it's it's a big business so so do you ever go in um to a business where there has been there there might be this troublesome person but you help the ceo or deal with this person or you oh, can help yeah, with the absolutely. person or you help with the person i guess would you say so you both. work with these okay okay so because a lot of these folks, um, it seems, might need help, you know. But I mean, I I, I know um, I've only ever looked at these things in silos. But um, you know, narcissism, narcissists, you know, if they're feeling really rotten inside, but they put on this facade, you know, they're, they're not really being authentic or genuine. So, um, and actually, they're going to lose. You know, relationships are going to be a mess. And um, but whether but you're but you could take that into the business setting and help these people provide the tools or awareness a lot of it might be like even you talked about peeling away the onions and learning about yourself learning uh, studying psychology it's almost like um you're you're shining a spotlight into these these individuals and whether it's in a professional setting well i mean i guess that's a lot of your business it's business isn't it how how can they function how can they build the trust you know work on the relationships being aware of some of their shortcomings because we can't really fix ourselves unless we know what's what's wrong well, 100%. So I think a couple of points there. So as a business psychologist slash therapist slash coach, when I go into an organization, this is just one thing that I do, obviously, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that we do. But one thing, um, and I think that's kind of like what I am known for within that that sphere, right, um, yeah. is working with people to understand themselves. I think when it comes to the narcissist, um, absolutely. I think because I take a very pragmatic view and also understand the science and the therapy side. So like this, the statistical, the neurological, but also the human centric side as well. It means that you can really communicate people in a different way. So like teaching the narcissist about themselves and about what's going on. hundred percent. I do that quite a lot. So I work with lots of sales teams. So you find within sales positions, very senior ones, you'll find a lot of narcissism there, for example, mm-hmm. And it makes perfect sense because a perfect salesperson is like a chameleon. They can adapt to any situation that they're in. And a narcissist is a self-trained chameleon. You know, they're trying to adapt. They want to be loved. They want people to like them desperately. That's the whole premise of everything that they do is to present themselves in a way that other people like them, want them, admire them. Um, And and that's, that's their, their whole like MO is to be liked. So, that fits so nicely with sales. So working with lots of sales teams, helping people unpick that. Because the problem with narcissism is, it's generally not so bad because I don't know whether, well, let's just put it this way. So say for example, you've got a dark tribe boss or you've got a narcissist boss or someone and their whole MO is for you to like them and follow them. And then they're going to do nice things, right? Mm -hmm. So- You pay rise. (laughs) So what's what's the problem? Does there need to be a specific motivation for someone for you to accept their behavior like does it matter if someone's being nice to you whether it's authentic or fake what difference does it make like it's just an interesting question I think about it often that's quite a lot of what I do with when I work with these leaders is say look like well I'm not going to give all my secrets away but it's about teaching them to understand why being good to people is good for them and Therefore, if pe- if they're good to their people, what difference does it make whether it comes from a, a good golden heart or whether it comes from business motivations? I mean, businesses paying for well-being support isn't because they really care about the well-being of their staff. It's because they want them to be resilient so they can work more and better. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And retain so them. <laughs> what, does the motivation really matter? 
Yeah, no, you're right. And actually, capitalism is really built on um, people thinking they want more. <laughs> because if everyone was content with a, you know, a secondhand car and a, you know, a little apartment or whatever it is, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, maybe for the, a lot of people, that would be amazing to even have those things. I've got to be careful what I say. But um, it's almost like you want more and more and more. And there is a kind of a, there is a, a connection with the, the whole narcissistic, narcissistic behavior as well. It's kind of fits well with capitalism. That was my somehow made the connection in my mind anyway. But um... no, I, I see what you mean. A hundred percent. I mean, narcissism is rife at the moment because of social media, yeah. because everyone sees these facades. Basically, Instagram or I don't know, whatever the other platforms are, 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 are perfect demonstrations mm -hmm. of our bauble facade. Yep. So you can create a whole facade of a life through an Instagram page. So you don't even have to act it out. You can buy the clothes, put on a photo, send the clothes back. You don't have to even afford them. You don't have to be able to do anything. It's all fake. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not all fake, but it can be fake. And it, so it's the perfect narcissistic tool. Plus social media, really, the, the, the reason why social media has strength, the reason why marketeers, uh, and the reason why it exists is to make money. And people forget that. It's not some beautiful community-based tool. Um, you're an idiot to think that. Social media has thrived because people see a way into marketing and paying people to tell you what you don't have, what you are lacking, what your life should look like. And that's why social media is so successful is because it taps into that fear mm -hmm. of you're not enough because mm -hmm. you don't you know go to michelin star restaurants and you don't go to saint lucia for holiday and you're not in mykonos over summer and you don't look like a model and you don't have all of these things so that's why it works social yeah. media to me is uh the devil as far as i'm concerned and that is why narcissism is so rife because people feel like they're not enough and it's yeah, telling I... people from a young age you're not enough you need to create a facade yeah, it's really, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I've got three teenage daughters and, you know, we've had some really, yeah, we've had some dark times but through the pandemic and, you know, yeah. and uh, the, the social media. The, the thing is, it is there. If you take it away, um, then you're almost cutting off a limb. You know, it's the social, it's 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 how yeah. young people communicate. Um, I think yeah. actually hi, you, when you highlighted the fact that a narcissist, it's, yes, it is about them, but actually it's it's this facade and they're covering up their insecurities inside and the fact that social media is um constantly bombarding people with it with messages that they're not good enough then it's just only going to yeah. um inflate that facade yeah and actually i mean one thing that we say to our girls is um you know comparison is the thief of joy you know it's so Absolutely. true um and it and it is and it's tragic and you know when a lot of these young people they're at the prime of their lives you know, they've got everything they're beautiful they're full of energy and vitality and and yet they're being like you said being told they're not enough um and actually yeah. as parents or whether you're in a te teaching or you know whether you're a mentor or, or parent whatever I mean you you can get through but it's 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 challenging because the, the, there's a whole wave of of the social media stuff that you can never compete with as far as time and it's just yeah. teaching them you know the, one one school is um you know people will figure it out and maybe they'll have sick of it. And then they'll say, you know, what? I've done it. I've had enough and just, and, and throw it away. But actually, you know, yeah. there's, um, there's a lot of really smart people, you know. Um, I think also choosing how you use it. So mm -hmm. a tool that I use. So, I mean, I, I hate Instagram, but I love it at the same time because yeah, yeah. I can connect with my friends, my family and it's closed off and 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 I realize I mean I our brains don't solidify with making long-term choices till we're about 21 22 anyway so when our children are prior to that you know making long-term strategic goals and plans is not really it's when our brain is like most malleable in that particular way so um, I mean, why we make decisions with regards to our education at that point I'll never know but that's another topic for another day but um so the thing with social media is, and, and what I do, because as I said, I love it, but I hate it, is I'll go through the people that I follow or if a post comes up and I think, is this making me feel good or is this making me feel bad? So like one of my favorite things to follow is like a mm. 3D vision of what ancient Rome would have looked like. And someone has created these insane visual models 
of like literally flying through ancient Rome and what all the buildings mm. look like. So I'm an ancient historian. So for me, that is like brilliant. That excites me more than anything. So I, you know, looking at something like that, yes, 100% follow. Looking at some, I don't know, insanely wealthy woman in Beverly Hills who, you know, spends 30K on an outfit and throws it away every day. Do I need to see that? Yeah, it's pretty. But does it slowly over time make me think, bloody hell, why don't I have that in my life? Yeah, probably it does. So delete. It's not going to okay, be a part of my life. I don't need it. So I, I think when we're young, we don't have that that kind of, you know, some people do, but generally speaking, we don't have that kind of understanding of um, the choice that you have in what you allow in and out of your life. You just think that is the world. The world is Instagram. The world is what other people are doing. When actually it's not. Like your world is what you choose it to be, what you want to see. And choosing the positive stuff that gives you joy and lights you up and really excites you, you can do that with social media. And I think if anyone is listening here today and that's your main takeaway, brilliant. Because you need to choose what you feed your brain every day. And it is like food, the information that you're digesting. What do you want to feed yourself with? Do you want to feed it with poison that's telling you that you're not enough and that you're bad and you don't have these things and you know all of that stuff would you want to feed it with something that nurtures you and excites you so if that is the only thing you take away brilliant go and do that straight away because i think it will change so much about your your kind of your your worldview your efficacy your place in the world and and what you see and what you you nurture yourself with yeah that's really good advice i like it and actually if you have a if you do have um if you can be intentional about what you want for yourself then yeah you know you could you can everything else well you can feel you can delete these other things that are relevant to you it's almost yeah. like um how do you kind of get yeah. into the zone um, 100% it's reaching really really... that goal again it's about saying yeah. yes and no yes this is good for me no that is not good for me delete and gone mm-hmm. so if you want so as far as the dark triad mm. um are there situations where a business could really benefit from actually um, finding a dark triad and 100%. then and then and then how do they find them oh the business doesn't find them they find the (laughs) business okay Uh, there you go yeah of course no I mean I don't think anyone actively hunts out dark triads to work for them um I mean as I said you'll find them in major conglomerates you'll find them in big banks you'll find them in uh, politics I mean I work with a lot of financial institutions and you come across a lot of interesting personalities there but also a big big insurance company uh, a big well-known but niche insurance company contacted me once and said we've got a whole layer of um, psychopaths working for us in this whole team and we're really worried about their destructive nature will you like come in and and do something with them so it's not just obviously in in finance you you find these personalities everywhere but remember it's not a huge percentage of the population we're really really keen to um, diagnose other people with their mental pathologies you know it's like a a weird human um desire to kind of understand someone is to be like they're a dark triad when actually the person might just be as you said really ambitious and quite cold and and quite goal-oriented and or they might be neurodiverse they might actually be autistic and not feel um uh empathy the same way and in fact there's a really good book which i love um written by who is Ali G? What's his name? Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, there you go. Sasha yep. Baron Cohen's cousin is one of the world's leading autism experts. Really? And he wrote this brilliant book called Zero Degrees of Empathy. And I've okay. got it somewhere and I read it ever oh. so often. It's so absolutely you, brilliant. So would you recommend that? Because I was was going to ask you, uh, uh, well, I know we're kind of getting close to the end, but uh, I was going to ask you if you could recommend a book or what book is... In fact, maybe you could recommend that, but I was the question was going to be um what book has impacted you, you know, the most in the last five years and and um if you could think of one. Oof. Um but then but we'll uh, we'll check that one out as well. <laughs> yeah, so zero degrees of empathy is definitely a good reading. If you're interested okay. in yep. psychology and and that kind of that side of uh here it is, Simon Baron Cohen. Zero degrees of empathy, a new theory of human cruelty and kindness. It's really interesting. Okay. As I said, so we often diagnose other people, but actually we don't know half of it. You know, someone 
saying someone is a psychopath because they they don't show much empathy perhaps you know they actually have a degree of autism or you don't know what what's gone on with that person it could be a learned behavior for example to be very protective of themselves so I, I'm very cautious of people who tell me that other people have certain yep. pathologies, yep. Um, generally speaking. But when it comes to the dark tribe, they can be very useful in businesses. So back to your original question, which is, um, you know, th- th- they're ambitious. They work hard. They are good at gaining traction. They, they're some of the best people in the world. They are some, not best people, some of the best people in business in the world Genius. are yeah. dark triads. Mm, um, and they propel things forward. But the problem is they also have a tendency to self-destruct. So Bernie Madoff, for example, time was running out. You can only manipulate people in the way that he so did for so long. Donald Trump is a perfect example. I mean, that man, people used to go on about how stupid he was. I don't think he's stupid at all. I think he's actually, he was a genius in, in the way that he behaved. Um, do I agree with everything he said? Absolutely not. But it's just fascinating standing back, removing your political views, removing everything and just watching someone's <laughs> growth and their ability to manipulate and yeah. make things happen. It's astonishing. And not um, be phased, not be phased by the barrage of and even legals or always find a way. Absolutely. Somehow. That's a really interesting point. Yeah. So look at Boris Johnson. Like, most people, if they, I mean, oh, yeah, so this is something that you'll find as well. So male uh, dark triads, they tend to have many, many children with different people. So that's a big thing mm. um, because they can't hold up the facade with partners for so long. And they tend to take their aggression out on their partners as well because it's kind of like behind closed doors. Whereas to the to the public and to the world, you know, they're mm-hmm. this brilliant yeah. confident funny charismatic person but behind closed doors it's never quite the same um mm. because you you know you can't put on that that shiny facade for so long um so they tend to have lots of partners they have an inability to keep it in their pants basically and mm-hmm. um so like thinking about how many kids Boris Johnson had with different women cheating on his wife all of this stuff I mean, affairs within the, the you know, within the, the cabinet, all of that kind of stuff. Most people would be mortified if that came out. You'd be thinking, what are my parents going to think? What are my family going to think? Care. Just don't care. It's like, it's like water off a duck's back. Yeah, it's like, every legal yeah, case, every time that they're accused of something, they feel nothing. And, and this is actually interesting because this is how I built my business, was actually talking about the dark triad, but in a what can we learn from them position yeah. rather than, what how can we change them because i think it's always dangerous to try and change other people anyway i think you can't change other people and we've, we've all tried and we've all failed i'm sure yep. we can't change other people all no. we can do is change our response to them that yep. is all we can do and that empowers you so i always say to um to people who work with dark triads like you have to understand the way they work so that you can work with them instead of trying to invest all your energy into changing this person that quite frankly knows the rules better than you and will beat you at it. So you adjust your behavior, learn how they work and manipulate the situation for your benefit. Make Mm -hmm. it work for you. Don't try and change them. It's never going to happen, but they, they are shameless. They feel nothing. And I think that's the important element of the psychopath. So psychopaths feel no fear. It's almost like mm-hmm. their amygdala is switched off. So there's no anxiety. Imagine living in a world where you had no fear of anything. You mm-hmm. didn't care what people thought of you. You didn't care about the repercussions of your choices. You just did what you wanted to do. You too would probably reach lofty heights or loftier heights. Mm-hmm. It's the fear that holds us back from most things in life. And they don't feel it. So we can learn a lot from these dark triads. That was really good. That was nicely put. Very nicely put. Very powerful. And actually business quite often, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm guilty of this as charged, get too emotionally wrapped up with yeah. whether it's a startup or, you know, it's your whole world when actually yeah. it's only business. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And don't exactly. get too attached to it because it's business. Exactly. Uh, Imagine <laughs> how many businesses you might have tried to set up or you would have invested in or you would have walked away from if you hadn't attached emotion to that organization or what that business represents to you or what success means to you, all of these things are fear. And fear isn't the most powerful emotion on the planet, 
um, as we've just seen during lockdown. I mean, uh, we were controlled by fear, basically. Logic goes out the window when fear is involved. It's our most primary emotion. Our brain is there to keep us alive, not to make us happy. And so it does everything within its power to look out for fear, uh, you know, scary situations, to uh, keep us alive. And that's why fear is so powerful because it's intrinsically linked into our survival mechanism, which is the primary core of our brain. That's, yeah, that's fascinating. So when it comes to the drive piece, because emotions, you know, they, they, you know, our emotions give us energy and impetus to actually do something. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to or the dark triangle, whether it's good do, or bad, do you think, yeah, do you think, um, yes, do you think, um, well, we can use our emotions to, yeah, to, to kind of create that energy to be motivated. But do you think someone in the dark triad or a psychopath would actually draw off the same, would it still be emotion or would it be just, count, or would it just be cold? I want the money. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it? I think it depends. Emotional bit. We're all emotional beings. It, right? it, still emotional. They don't really feel very much when it comes to emotion. Empathy, like they feel no nothing empathy. much. Okay. Yeah, there's no empathy. But also they just don't really feel much within themselves. When you were talking about a sociopath earlier, a sociopath has degrees of emotion. So they tend to feel rage and they get heightened emotion, actually. Okay. Whereas a okay. psychopath doesn't really feel heightened emotions. Mm, okay. So it's nothing. Again, imagine I teach all the time. I teach classes on how to control your emotions. Emotional regulation is mm-hmm. one of the most important lessons you can learn in life. An emotion is not real. An emotion is just a neuron firing. You choose whether you act on it or not. Mm-hmm. But an emotion is completely fake. An emotion is a signal telling you about an insecurity or telling you something else that you haven't quite realized or acknowledged or verbalized. For example, resentment is an emotion that we feel. Mm-hmm. And most of the time we just sit there and just feel horrible and feel resentful towards something when actually it's a signal saying, you need to put your boundaries up. You've been taken advantage of and you need to say no to something and yes mm. to yourself. That's all it is. And emotions aren't scary. They're just signals. But we give so much power to them. Instead of Mm -hmm. sitting and rationalizing them, we give them power and a voice and we are led by them when actually we should be controlling our emotions, not be controlled by them. Mm -hmm. So, again, another superhuman power of the dark triad is the fact that they are not regulated by emotions. And when you're not regulated by emotions, you can't be controlled by someone else. Yeah. Okay. That's a really important distinction, isn't it? But 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 also, but you know Absolutely. how to control other people because you're they almost be out exactly. because, because actually they you are can use those, they are, yeah because they are emotional. So it's actually That's how yeah. you manipulate. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Very good. Now we're coming close to the end of our uh, our time. Oh, is yes. there um is there yeah it's been great the time time's been flying by. So um what do you know to be true that uh, that most people might disagree with you on i love this question yeah um i had a thing this morning before for the podcast, and i think that the first thing that came to my mind is probably that there's no such thing as good or bad okay they are human-made concepts that just do not exist everything is just as in just is you know it's not good it's not bad people are not good they're not bad everything just is and that's it i think if you attribute good and bad to things they have more power than they need to. Mm. If you think about through history, going back again to history, um, <clears throat> think about myths and legends, religion, all movies, storybooks, everything is about good versus evil all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we subscribe to the concept that good wins ultimately, I think you will just spend your life being constantly disappointed and upset. You know, good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. Uh, however you want to define that and that's just life you know I think if you just accept things for what they are and choose your response to them I think you will live a happier life Uh, don't attribute good and bad to anything just see it for what it is and life gets very simple well that's yeah that's pretty profound that's a whole we could have we could spend the next hour (laughs) talking about that couldn't we (laughs) very good (laughs) If you were to, uh, in your current, where you are currently, if you were to um, meet someone for coffee, anyone, um, who would that be and why? Um, it's got to be Freud, a hundred percent. My my godfather, not my godfather, my my uh, <laughs> my light, my shining light, a hundred percent, without a doubt. 
Oh, I don't know, actually, maybe an ancient. I'm going to stick with Freud. I'm okay. going to stick with Freud. You know, he was an archaeologist who was, you know, the, the godfather and the father of psychotherapy and um, understanding of humans. I mean, God, to lie on his couch and have a session, uh, a psychotherapy session with him would just be probably unraveling. <laughs> wow. So I, I had no but idea he was archae- I had no idea he was an archaeologist. So it, absolutely so is there any in connection London, there between you your paleontology <laughs> you, you started as this is what i mean this, so bizarre, this desire to uncover things and understand yeah. them things that on the surface might look a certain way but understanding like the the human behind it the reasoning and all of that kind of stuff absolutely archaeology ancient history paleontology all of that absolutely so you can go to freud's house in north london um, which is where he he died, actually. He spent a few years there. And his couch and his office and everything are there. But also you can see a big cabinet of some of his artefacts that he collected. Wow, I had no idea. Maybe I'll, I'll check it out. And maybe our listeners uh, can go check it out. Good. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. um, well, it's great having you on. And um, it's been an absolute Thank pleasure. You. And perhaps we can follow, catch up with you in th- three years, t- three to five years time. I'd love that. Absolutely. Um, hopefully some books published. I'll be a doctor by then. All sorts yeah. of good things, hopefully. Excellent. Okay. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Rocket Pod. When you get a moment, we'd love it if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a quick review. We love all your messages. It helps us get exposed to inspire and share more stories like this one and helps guide us to figure out who to interview next. The talk with Danielle today was particularly inspiring. A couple of takeaways to get energy you have to expend energy i thought that was a really interesting one um, from her dad and i think with this whole social media culture where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people um, and focusing on the things that we don't have drives this desire to um, put this big fake facade um hey as in the rise of narcissism um it really makes sense but inside a lot of these folks are insecure and then, of course, we touched on the dark triad. I think what I found interesting was someone in the dark triad can be a combination of any three. They're either psychopaths, Marcavellius, or narcissists. They have to have all three traits, but these can be in different quantities. And sometimes organizations need these people because they drive the revenues. But you have to watch out because quite often these folks fall down at the end. And we, we touched on various politicians such as Trump and, uh, and Boris. Anyway, um, just kind of an interesting one there. So, yeah, thanks again, Danielle. For those listeners out there that want to get in touch with Danielle, um, her Instagram account is dh underscore coaching, and her website is daniellehaig.com. That's D-A-N-N-I-E-L-L-E-H-A-I-G.com. Thanks again, Daniel, for coming on the show, and uh, have a great rest of the week, everybody. Um, Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.